Patience is needed for God's people because on a day of God's choosing, his people's vindication will come. Hi, I'm Fami Osaban, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's sermon, The Day of the Lord, taken from Zechariah 14. In Zechariah, we see God telling his people that a day is coming where he will act on their behalf against their enemies. To see that day, we must remain faithful because the day of the Lord will be a day where lines will be drawn between those who are with and against God. On that day, God will do the fighting, guaranteeing the victory. What determines whose side you're on is your obedience to his word and the faith you put in him. I can imagine that on any day on this planet that it would be easy to look at your present time and to expect God to do a mighty deed to reveal himself. Either because the days that you were living in were so wicked in your view that your estimation was this world was beyond redeeming or that you had reached the pinnacle of faith and that no more people on earth were going to be doing what God wanted. So he might as well end it while it's on a high note. I kind of expect some of those sentiments to be going through the Israelites during the days of Zechariah. For they had started the work to rebuild the temple, and while they were in the process of it, it was God showing his people that he was still with him. But God doesn't operate on our time clock. And just because we expect, desire, want something done in the present doesn't dictate that God is going to answer as we deem he should. Because he's looking at his history in its broad expand, and he's bringing it to his wills and his desires. And that's apparent as you read in Zechariah, because there's a number of times that there's this refrain that's repeated in the day of the Lord. And we're going to look at chapter 14, but this this refrain in the day of the Lord is not necessarily speaking of one day, but a few days in which God comes and acts on his behalf to bring about his will. Zechariah 14. See, a day is coming for the Lord when the plunder taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses looted and the woman raped. Half the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the city shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day... His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mountain shall withdraw northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee by the valley of the Lord's mountain, for the valley between the mountains shall reach to Azal, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah in and, and Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. 
On that day, there shall not be either cold or frost, and there shall be continuous day. It is known to the Lord, not day and not night, for at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will become king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. And it shall be inhabited, for never again shall it be doomed to destruction. Jerusalem shall abide in security." This shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall rot while they are still in their feet, and their eyes shall rot in their sockets, and their tongues shall rot in their mouths. On that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them so that each will seize the hand of a neighbor and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected. Gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on the horse, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever animal may be in those camps. Then all who survive of the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the festival of booths. If any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain upon them. And if the family of Egypt do not go up and present themselves, then on them shall come the plagues that the Lord inflicts on the nations that do not go up to keep the festival of booths. Such shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to keep the festival of booths. On that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord, and the cooking pots in the house of the Lord shall be as holy as the bowls in front of the altar. And every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be sacred to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and use them to boil the flesh of the sacrifice. And there shall no longer be traitors in the house of the Lord or hosts on that day. This day of the Lord that God is telling his people is going to happen is a day that's not the present day for those living in Jerusalem. It's a day that they have to live in anticipation of knowing that just because they're starting to do what God wants doesn't mean that God is done doing all that he has set his sights on accomplishing because there's a day coming and this day coming is not all pleasant because as we see when they first mention the, the day that the Lord comes that there's going to be a ransacking of Jerusalem and their enemies are going to plunder them but then there's going to be another day 
where Jerusalem is going to be vindicated by God and God's going to fight for them and eventually they're going to plunder their enemies. And this shows us that the day of the Lord is happening at different intervals. And that what we must do is be his people every day. So when his day comes, we're found on the right side of God. You see, God's coming to judge people and you will not be able to tell if you are on the right side of God by if you're victorious in war, if you are receiving the blessings from a dispossessed people, if you are at the high or low end of the totem pole on a specific day. Why not? Because on one day, Jerusalem will be ransacked and all of their treasures will be taken to the nations. And then on another day, the nations will be ransacked and all of their treasures will be taken to Jerusalem. And both of those are days that the Lord is going to act. And so as God's people, we must be his people every day, not just trying to figure out when he's going to be back and be his people on that day. And we cannot determine that by if we're eating good or if we're starving. If we have the things of this life that show blessings or if we are destitute because we are being oppressed. Because that's not how God operates. What we must do is we must live life faithfully. And that's one of the charges of Zechariah is be strong in the Lord and do his work because God's spirit is what's going to guarantee that his goal is accomplished. And so if God's people go out with that attitude, what we can be assured of is no matter what day we find ourselves on, a day of blessing, a day of oppression, that God will vindicate us. Because suffering comes to all people, but God's going to repay those who are his enemies, meaning those who have Oppose God's people, God's going to render righteous judgment. What does he say will happen? On that day, there shall be a plague which the Lord will strike on the peoples that wage war against him. Their flesh shall rot while they are still on their feet. Their eyes shall rot and their sockets and their tongues shall rot in their mouths. And so on and so forth. And the same things is going to happen to the mules, the camels, their horses. But the good thing about that day for God's people is that God's going to be the one who fights. That God's going to be the one who brings about the victory. And also in that day, God is going to provide healing. Where does it say this at? Living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem. 
half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. And this living waters theme continues a theme that goes all throughout the Bible. And if one wanted to expand it all the way to beginning of creation, one could. But we'll just look at two other places that this living waters is mentioned. The first one is in Ezekiel 47. And we're going to just read verses 7 through 12. As I came back, I saw on the bank of the river a great many trees on the one side and on the other. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah. And when it enters the sea, the sea of stagnant waters, the water will become fresh. Wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish once these waters reach there, it will become fresh and everything will live where the river goes. People will stand fishing beside the sea from the Engedi to Engelam, and it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of great many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. On the banks of both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of tree for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fall, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the waters for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. You see, God had given in Ezekiel these visions before, well, the first deportation during the exile. And what we have is this living waters reference that God's going to come back and heal the land and provide living to a dead region that gets picked up on in the days of Zechariah after this exile that Ezekiel had entered has ended. But that living water theme did not just end there because the living waters is also picked up in the book of Revelation in the 22nd chapter, first three verses, John records the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and on the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. You see these living waters that God is telling his people is going to be present is in opposition to the curse, the punishment, the wrath that those who are opposed to God are going to receive. So as God's people, we can live in anticipation of that day. And we do that daily by being who he calls us to be. Because we know that the things that we suffer for the sake of Christ, for the sake of being righteous by God's standard, will be vindicated for. God will fight for us. And God will actually lead us to the victory that he wants us to have for being his people. But to receive that, we have to see the world as God sees it. 
because there are only two groups of people. Listen to 14, 16, and 17 again. Then all who survive of the nations that have come up against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the kings, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the festival of booths. If any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain upon them. You hear that? Two groups of people. Those who go up to worship God, those who do not go up to worship God. You see, in this world, we like to create shades of gray, but God doesn't see it as such. You either are God's people or you're not God's people. And he says on that day when he acts, when he destroys those nations that were opposed to him, those that were surviving at that time, they're either going to go up and worship God or they're not. And if they don't worship God, they will not receive rains. They will not receive the sustenance to provide for life. And they will be enemies of God. But he will have his people. And these are the people who go up to worship. And that's the sign that you're God's people. The worship that you render on to him. And what's interesting is. What Zechariah references is this festival of booths, of tabernacles. This festival is sometimes called end gatherings, where at the end of the harvest, they brought in all of their fruits and they offered it to God. But this festival was also celebrated at noteworthy days. Let's read about this festival in its inception given in the law in Leviticus. And there's a few other points that I think jumps out to show the importance of it. Uh, So Leviticus 23 is where we want to go first. And we'll start at the 39th verse. Now, in the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall keep the festival of the Lord Lasting seven days, a complete rest on the first day and a complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day, you shall take the fruit of majestic trees, branches of palm trees, bowls of leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a festival to the Lord seven days in the year. You shall keep it in the seventh month as a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall live in booths for seven days. All that are citizens of Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see, what God is saying is, I want you to keep this festival because I want you to remember what I did for you in removing you from Egyptian bondage and bringing you to the promised land. And at the end of your harvest, you're going to bring in and celebrate to me that I have supplied you with the necessary things for you to sustain life. And I want you to know I have done this because I am the Lord your God. And this is the law that Moses has given to the people. 
But let's look at a few days where this festival is celebrated. And I think it, it, it speaks volumes because it also tells us something about the relationship that God has with his people. First place I want us to uh, go to is Second Chronicles, and we'll look at chapter 5. And what's interesting about this is that this is the, the building of the temple. And we see that when this temple is dedicated to God, it's the same time that this festival is going to be celebrated. Or should I say, the same time this festival is celebrated, the temple of God is finished being built. Listen what it says. Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. Solomon brought in the things that his father David had dedicated and stored the silver, the gold, and all the vessels in the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the leaders of the ancestral houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the Israelites assembled before the king at the festival that is in the seventh month. You see that? This festival of booths, this festival of tabernacles is being celebrated as the ark is being brought into the completed temple. And all the elders of Israel came and the Levites carried the ark. So they brought up the ark, the tent of the meeting and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. What does that tell us? That there was something significant with God that he decided on that day that you're going to Bring in the last of your fruits on that day that you're going to remember that I sustained you as I brought you up out of Egypt, that I'm going to have this temple being completed to where we are going to meet and where you're going to worship me and intercession is going to be made to my name on behalf of all the people in the world. And if you continue reading chapter five, six and seven, what you will see is that Solomon prays to God and listen to how God responds in chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon had ended his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down on the pavement with their face to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. This day of the Lord, this festival of tabernacles or booths, that whatever one you want to call it, is the festival that God says that all people will come and worship, and that will be a sign if you're his people or not his people. I do not think it's coincidental or accidental that the temple was being finished, built on this day, because Zechariah 
is writing to Zerubbabel and Joshua and compelling them to finish building this temple, this very temple to where we just see that Solomon had built, is being rebuilt in the days of Zechariah, where God had came and let his people know that I'm with you. The other passage that I want to look at is a contemporary of Zechariah. And this passage is in the book of Ezra. Um, yes, Ezra and the third chapter. And I think it's no coincidence that as you read this, that it's also on the festival of booths. Listen, when the seventh month came and the Israelites were in the towns, the people gathered together in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, with his kin, set out to build the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set up the altar on this foundation because they were in dread of the neighbor peoples and they offered burnt offerings upon it to the Lord morning and evening and they kept the festival of booths as prescribed and offered the daily burnt offerings by numbers according to the ordinances as required for each day and after that the regular burnt offerings and the offerings at the new moon and at the sacred festivals of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord from the first day to the seventh month they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid so they gave money to the masons and the carpenters the food to drink and oil of the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring ciders from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant that they had from King Cyrus of Persia you see this day of the Lord that we recognize what God has done for us, the people saw it fit to do what God wanted and worship him, even though they had not a temple there to worship him at. Because the temple was only a sign that we're dedicating our hearts to God, and in doing what God wanted and worshiping to him, it showed that we recognize that the worship to God is more important than the physical structure to where this worship is at. But there still is a need to build God's house. And so they go about that business. And a few years later, Nehemiah writes, and Nehemiah, I want to say that's uh, Nehemiah 8, when the seventh month came, the people of Israel being settled in their towns, all the people gathered together in the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both man and woman and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the man and the woman and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the books of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on the wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. 
And then it goes on and jump down to five. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. And lifted up their heads, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord, their faces to the ground. This is at 13. On the second day, the heads of the ancestral house of all the people with the priests of the Levites came together to the scribe and Ezra in order to study the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the people of Israel should live in booths during the festival on the seventh month. And they should publish and proclaim in all their towns and in Jerusalem as follows. Go out in the hills and bring branches and olives, wild olives, myrtle, palms, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on the roofs of their houses and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. For from the day of Joshua, son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there were very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the festival seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. You see, from the time the law is given to the time the temple is built, To the time the people come back from exile, God has a stipulation and he tells them that the way that people are going to know that they are my people is by celebrating this festival. But what I want us to appreciate in the celebration of this festival as pointed out in Nehemiah, which I believe to be written uh, a little bit after Zechariah prophesies, is that they go back all the way to the giving of the law in Moses to figure out how they ought to worship God. You see, the antiquity of what God says remains valid and it doesn't change because people's situation changes. And so as we live day by day and are in the present, we must understand that the way to be God's people when he acts on the day he chooses to act is by doing what he said no matter how long ago it was until he tells us something different. You see, Nehemiah recognized that they had not celebrated the festival of booths properly since they were in the days of Joshua. Did that mean that they could alter it to to make it fit their situation? No. They needed to go back to what God had said so that they could do it right. And what we recognize is that in the worshiping of God, we are found to be his people, but it's not just in acknowledging that God is God. It's acknowledging that God has a standard that we live to, which affords us the privilege to be considered his people. And that's how you know if you're God's or you're not God's. 
not by word of mouth, but by action and deed based upon the words of God. Because what we actually recognize in our worship to God is that God is our creator. God is our redeemer. God is our deliverer. And God is our provider. So while we live in the present and we anticipate a day when God's going to come and God is going to to have a final act in history to bring about the culmination of all of his plans and to deliver his people finally, we recognize that the way we see it might not be how God sees it. We're looking at today and depending on how we feel, this could be the best of times or it could be the worst of times. And God's looking at the full scope of history. And while we might want God to act on our behalf in such a mighty way that vindicates to us that God's with us, the way we know that God's with us is by worshiping him as he demands. The way we know that we'll be vindicated by God is through our worship and faith to him as he prescribed. And then we know that no matter what day God comes back, we will be taken with him. You see, this book was written to charge the leaders to start working on the temple, but also to inform them that there was a day coming that wasn't the present day, but a day in the future where God was going to act on behalf of all mankind to offer a way to save them, but also condemn those who didn't go that way. And we're still living in anticipation of the fulfillment of some of what Zechariah prophesied. We're still looking for that day to where we could drink from these waters of life and we can receive this healing that God wants to give all people and evade the judgment, hell fire that's going to come for those who have rejected Christ. And sometimes we look and we say, God, do something because it's crazy now and it seems as if it can't get any worse. But all we have is faith to hold on to. We have a promise and we have a standard that we know if we keep that standard and hold on to that promise, that no matter what the day is, that God returns, he won't forget us. There's a beautiful passage in Hebrews 11, and I'm a paraphrase, but it goes something like, all of those who have died in faith, anticipating the promises that God has given to all people, they're still waiting for God to call everybody together with him. So we know that even if we die, that we will be waiting with Abraham, with Moses, with David, with Solomon, with Zechariah, with Zerubbabel, with Joshua, 
with Peter, with Paul, with Mark. All of those saints who have gone on before have not entered the promised land because God's going to give it to all his people at one time. And on that day, heaven will be our home. So what we must do today is remain faithful and assure that we figure out what God wants us to do so that we can worship him as he demands. Because there's only two people. God's people and the enemies of God's people. And he's going to vindicate his people and he's going to punish those enemies of his people. I'm not sure where that leaves you, but I was just trying to encourage us all to remain faithful no matter what it looks like because we're in what a lot of people are saying is a crazy time. It's not a time that God is surprised by. It's just a time that causes men to waver in faith. And I want to reassure us that no matter what goes on, that God's still in control. And the way that we can be assured to be in God's good graces is to do what God commands us. Have faith and worship him as he prescribes. And no matter what goes on, will we have to suffer? God will vindicate us. And when we're blessed, that blessing will be standing for eternity because God will give it to us and nobody could take it. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.